A huge news story breaks. You grab your phone and immediately check social media. You are looking to find out what has happened, but you also want to see some of the opinions people have, and maybe want to post your own too. As you scroll, you notice that everyone is on one side or the other, and those sides are completely opposed to each other. Has the world always been this polarized? Welcome to the Innovative Business Podcast from the Hank Hammer School of Business at Baylor University. My name is Bo Mello. And I'm Justin Walker. Today we have Professor of Information Systems and Business Analytics, Dr. Robin Wakefield, and the Edwin W. Streetman Professor of Retail Marketing, Dr. Kirk Wakefield, to talk about their research on polarization in social media. How are you all doing today? Very good. Thank you. Great. Awesome. So the topic of the uh, article is on the antecedents and consequences of intergroup effective polarization on social media. Um, so first, let's just break down that title. What is intergroup effective polarization actually mean? Well, intergroup means um, basically an in-group and an out-group. So everybody is part of uh, many different types of groups. Uh, you could be part of a, um, a political group or a religious group. And you would, that would be your in-group. The outward group would be someone you would see as an opposition group or a rival group or just someone who's um, part of a group that's not in your in-group. Oh, makes sense. Uh, so uh, the effective polarization, can you kind of talk about what that means? Sure. Well, I'm, as you all can see in the podcast, I'm wearing a Cowboys uh, <laughs> top uh, sweater. And so Cowboys would be my in-group. And the outgroup would be everybody else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so the affective polarization part is that I feel very strongly towards the cowboys, very warm mm -hmm. towards them, pretty cool towards all the rivals. And that difference between those two, how warm I feel towards my group and how cool I feel towards your group, you losers, um, <laughs> so to speak. Well, of course, sometimes that's the cowboys. Yeah. Nonetheless, and, um, that's the affective polarization of that difference. That makes sense. Uh, so what are, when y'all talk about the antecedents and consequences, um, what are y'all looking for? Well, what motivates that affective polarization? What motivates um, people in a group to polarize on their feelings towards the out group? Those are the antecedents. And the consequences are, okay, then after they're affectively polarized, then how do they respond to each other? Or how do they tend to respond to each other um, on, on social media? Yeah, makes that makes total sense. And so why did y'all think that this, one, what motivated y'all to look into this? And why why was this so important to understand these dynamics? Yeah, uh, well, like most researchers, I think it's something you observe in uh, everyday life. And you go, I wonder why that is. Uh, and I think I got some ideas. Um, but we did this during uh, pretty much the height of COVID. And one of the things that was popular um, on Twitter, which was where we did our, our study, uh, is people's feelings about wearing masks and not wearing masks. And yeah. guess what? Some people feel really strongly, but it seemed like it was motivated by group identity and maybe not so much about science or mask wearing. So what, what's going on there? So right. that's really part of what motivated it. Um, I don't know if Robin, if you have anything else. And then, and then you hear often that we're such a polarized society, right? Ideologically, we're, you know, in, in different groups. And it seems like um, the tendency is to think that groups are against each other so much. But why are they against each other so much? So we were, mo we're motivated to kind of figure out and discuss 
how to bring groups together, perhaps, um, um, to determine how they feel about each other, but then again, how to how to bring them more together. Yeah, is it really that people are so hateful? I mean, you hear that all the time, stop the hate, we're against hate. Well, really, is that it? Is that we hate the other people so much? I mean, I frankly don't run into that many people that are that hateful. I mean, um, so maybe it's something else. Right. Right. So how did y'all go about measuring that polarization in y'all's study? Well, polarization is measured on a zero to 100 scale where near zero or zero would be cold and 100 would be warm. So how I feel about my group generally would be towards the warm side. So for, perhaps I feel my group, I give it a rating of an 80. And the op, I would think of an opposition group or a rival group, and maybe I think they're, I would, my feelings toward them would probably be a 40. And so that difference between the 80 and 40 is the amount of affective polarization, or a 40 in this case. Okay. And then how did you all, like, what what did you do to go and study this? Uh, you mentioned that you looked at Twitter during COVID. What was the process between being like, okay, how did you separate the groups? How did you create the groups? Those sorts of things. Well, we started with, here, I'll let you do it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we looked at people and how they identified with groups, political parties, and so they could self-identify. And then we showed them uh, tweets, um, you know, randomized set of tweets from pro-mask and anti-mask, uh, you know, tweets. So representative of each of those and then measured their responses. And then we measured how much, how strongly they, you know, feel warmly they feel towards their own group versus the rival group. They got to pick their rival group. You might could guess how that might yeah. go. <laughs> I can um, imagine. <laughs> Um, and then looked at the differences. Okay. And what, what, uh, how, what did you, what differences did you look at in regards to those kinds of things? Well, we looked at how, um, how the in-group, how warm they felt towards their own group versus how warm they felt towards the out-group. Um, and then we, uh, analyzed how, or looked at how they would respond toward the out-group on social media. If they felt warmer towards their own group versus... Um, cooler towards the outgroup. But what, what motivates them was really the original question, right? So that's the antecedent part. And what we looked at is really, um, to me, I guess to us, right, I hope to the listeners, uh, mm -hmm. very entertaining motiva motivating factors. So uh, whatever we're passionate about drives all of really the rest of our behavior. Mm -hmm. And there are dual passions. So there's harmonious passion that you're under control of, that you know fits with the rest of your life. Yeah. There's obsessive passion um, that you can guess. Yeah, <laughs> you're not so in control of. You can't. It's spontaneous. It's involuntary. You really cannot help yourself but to follow that passion, whatever it is. And so we looked at those dual passions and how that motivates the um, you know the reaction to the in group and out group and the affective polarization and the response to you know tweets that we talked about. And then the other part of it is how uh, strongly you identify with your group. So those two, the interplay of identification with my group and then how passionate I am and whether I'm harmonious, have harmonious passion, so balanced, if you will, yeah. uh, or if I'm obsessively passionate and then how does that drive it? And we came up with some uh, somewhat um, unexpected uh, results on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, Robin, if you want to talk about that. or Yeah, we found out that those who were had more of an an obsessive passion towards their group were less likely to. Well, they didn't. They weren't as polarized as you might think. 
Okay. Yes, Interesting. yes, yes. Uh, they weren't the ones with the high active affective polarization. They uh, were they were likely more likely to um, drown out or hush the other side up. Yeah, because generally speaking, what we found is if you have high affective polarization and you know yeah. your in group is you know you feel great about them, but you don't like so much the other group, that um, the response is to block out or avoid. Surprising. Maybe. Yeah. No, not surprising. Uh, we avoid others, and that's what we found on the Twitter responses. So if you have high affective polarization and you really see yourself as very different from that other group, um, you don't tend to engage at all. In fact, you unfollow, oh. block, um, do anything you can to avoid interaction. And so the interesting consequence of this is the way Twitter works, and again, maybe this isn't surprising the outcome, but the reasons why are what we're getting at is – um, that Twitter serves, as you know, as a vacuum, as an yeah. echo chamber, and it's not really interchange, right? It's not really built. I mean, supposedly you could interact. <laughs> right. Right. But in reality is, what we found is that if people feel very strongly, you know, that big difference between how I feel about my group versus your group, I'll just stop listening to your group. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you saw that the more someone felt strongly about their, their group, the less they, the more echo chambery they got. Yeah, exactly. essentially. Oh yeah. yeah. And the kind of the unexpected thing we found is that the obsessive, passionate person um, isn't the one driving, if you will, the hate. You know. Yeah. The stereotype it is, and in fact, their affective polarization is less than others because uh, the reality is they don't feel that as cold. badly as cold, cold about the out group. Yeah. They tend to overinflate their feelings about their in group. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so they're all about the in group and not so much about the out group. They're Maybe not oblivious. really on their yeah on their it's not really on their radar. Um, huh. So think of this as selfishness uh, gone. Um, it's due course. Uh, so if you're very self centered, or people are self centered, which you might argue our society is gone. Yeah. Um, then all I think about is me, me and my group, and my group is better than your group, and our group is awesome. Your group stinks. Uh, so my heat, if you will. My thermometer goes way up uh, for my group. Yeah. The opposition group, frankly, is ecstatic, if you will, relatively so. So the problem isn't that I hate your group. It's that I think too highly of mine. Interesting. And so the way back to what Robin was saying is what we hope, if we could help society just a wee little bit, is yeah. that, hey, uh, tamp down on how great you are in your group. How about a little humility? Yeah. Bring that down, and when you bring the heat down for how awesome you, the Republicans, you, the Democrats are, then maybe we could learn to get along a little bit. But it's not quit hating, yeah. So much, by the way, that's a good idea. But yeah. I don't yeah. think anybody's <laughs> arguing for yeah, let's hate, right? It's more, you know, how can we ramp down, if, if you will, the love, the uh, overinflated, I guess I should say, love for our own group and yeah. for me and mine. That makes sense. Um, so, you know. Robin, you are professor in uh, information systems yes. in Kirkure and marketing. What does this mean? This the findings and the research mean for your respective fields? Well, for information systems, um, I do a lot of social media research, um, um, and Kirk does as well. But we find that the in-group out-group dynamic, um, especially, is very applicable to social media and you know all the different platforms on social media. So understanding how we relate to each other if that becomes the norm of our relationships together is on this electronic platform how how can that be best managed so so that when we are 
um, come together, you know, physically, we don't take those relationships and have those implicate our, you know, relationships yeah, same, um, sorry, offline. Attitudes. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. What about for marketing? Yeah, I mean, it's and both of them. Um, the answer to both is uh, there are public policy implications for that. So okay. some of the research that we cite in there is that uh, how you behave online translates into how you behave in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't really separate those as well. So that, not that it's one to one, but the point is, if you are the kind of person who's abusive and ugly online, there's a strong chance you're like this in real life. Yeah. Um, so um, that suggests, well, as we've been seeing, like with Twitter and uh, being bought out, and we found out that, guess what? There was a lot of control going on uh, politically and otherwise, um, and who knows, maybe still is. Uh, so uh, if we want to have some policy making, we understand that the way Twitter is organized so far has not been very beneficial for society. Mm-hmm. So right. maybe that suggests, and we aren't offering the what to do, but suggests maybe some uh, oversight. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. So uh, why did you all decide to collaborate on this? I know that you said that the findings really has uh, a lot of the same implications, but why is it uh, that information systems and marketing could join together? <laughs> well, well, we are married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we do talk about things. All the um, time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, the way to... A way to think about this is that uh, in information systems, in social media, the interest is in users. Mm-hmm. You know, so what are the users and how they're behaving and so on. And marketing is the consumer. Right. So users are consumers. Right. Um, and so we have a lot of overlap. Uh, and in general, the two fields do. In fact, our two fields borrow a lot from each other. And we borrow a lot from, as you might guess from what I just said, psychology. Mm-hmm. So all the... Research in, on passion comes out of a long stream of research in psychology, and we just borrowed it, you know, social psychology, yeah. and we borrow it and apply it to our fields. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, so going off of this, do you all have any uh, future plans in this realm of research going forward or anything you can talk about right now? Sure. We're working on a paper now that's under revision in a journal um, where we look at schadenfreude. Okay. Uh, which is closely related to affective polarization. Okay. Um, so kind of emerging out of the same thing. Uh, and we also look at how people respond in social media in this one. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is pretty, to me, all of this is entertaining. It kind of cracks us up, at least me up, uh, which is, so schadenfreude, uh, you may be aware of, you know, it's a German word that we use and we've Americanized it, but uh, it's when we feel joy in our rivals' uh, demise. Oh, okay. Something bad happens to TCU, we yeah, Baylor they feels lost. happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad they lost. Sorry, any TCU fans, whatever, but that's the way it is. Um, so, but that Schadenfreude uh, drives a lot of social media behavior and also in general media behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at uh, again the response that uh, the tendency to put people in their place on social media comes from Schadenfreude. Okay. Um, and it's also driven by the same factors of passion and identification. So the more yeah. passionate I am, the more identified I am with the group. Guess what? I feel way more schadenfreude. Yeah. And then yeah. if I feel more schadenfreude, then what do I do? I consume more media in general, mm-hmm. like even a podcast. And we actually do ask about these types of things. You know, podcast, media, and so on, and mass media. And that also leads me to, you know, follow more social media related to, in this case, we did politics specifically yeah. and sports. So we had two sports teams, two hockey teams. And then added a politics setting, kind of similar. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And guess what? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, yeah, I bet there well, was a quite a bit of overlap there. <laughs> I think the interesting thing that we just actually, we're just now revising that and getting ready to send it back in, but that we looked at <clears throat> more carefully is that the attitude um, from schadenfreude is that you, uh, what is your attitude towards using social media at all? Okay. Like, yeah. is it a good idea to post on social media? Some of us think maybe it's not so wise. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> on hot topics in politics, eh, sports, maybe not so much. Um, right. But anyway, the, the point is that, yeah, if I have lots of schadenfreude, I think it's a really good idea to post my feelings on social media. Yeah. And then that has public policy implications uh, as well. Yeah, that definitely does. That's very interesting. Very yeah. excited for when that uh, comes out and we get to all see that. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's a fun fast fact. Um, you know, I was reading up on the sources or uh, other research on schadenfreude. It is the basis for virtually uh, every um, sitcom and um, reality show. Oh, yeah. They purposely are focused on that schadenfreude feeling because people feel so good when I see that loser yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. get voted off, get whatever off, and I go, oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling real good, and I identify with whoever it is that's my favorite bachelor. Yeah. That's her, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. 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 And Schadenfreude is actually the, I mean, I read that in their design of those shows, that is seriously a factor they're considering. That's, oh, wow. That makes a lot of sense. As someone who watches a lot of Big Brother and Survivor, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel much better about myself. I yeah. see those people get beat. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank so, you all so much for, thank for joining you for us. Having us. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, we can't wait to talk to you all again. Thank you for listening to the Innovative Business Podcast from the Hank Hammer School of Business. If you want to check out more episodes of Innovative Business or the Business Review Podcast from CJ Jackson, go to hankhammer.baylor.edu slash podcast. And if you would like to know even more about research and alumni stories from the Hank Hammer School of Business, go to bbr.baylor.edu. Thank you.